Aguande and welcome to Untold Story, Who is South Africa? A series that tells the untold story, untold history, and most importantly, unsung heroes of our country. And I'm your host, Pindile Karisa Masanabo. In today's episode, we discuss the makeup of South Africa. So stick around, guys. So today, we talk about who makes up South Africa. We explore drifting trends before 1652. We call it drifting mainly because borders at the time were non-existent. And in this episode, we're going to touch on the land question, whether or not Bantu people deserve a stake in the land as much as the First Nation or the Khoisan do. So it's quite clear that civilization in Southern Africa began with the Sand people at about 260,000 years ago, followed by the Khoikhoi, which later merged to form one group of people known as the Khoisan. Their lifestyle was simple, like nomadic. They didn't grow much plants. They did keep livestock after merging with the Khoi. They had vast knowledge about wild herbs and plants. They were a civilization on their own, a sustainable one, in fact. And when I say sustainable, it's the fact of a matter that they were moving around to allow the, the land to recuperate and regenerate. However, one thing that needs to be addressed in this episode is the distortion done by the British and the Dutch in that Bantu people came at the same time as why people were discovering and settling in the Cape. So this is known as the empty land myth. The agenda behind this lies is to justify the large-scale dispossession done by Europeans to Africans. Another claim is that the Bantu displaced the Khoi and the San. <sighs> lies just don't end, eh? So if we take this thing down and we try to create a smaller Yana timeline. So the Bantu arrive in South Africa in the 6th century, which is approximately a 1,000 years before the British company discovers the Cape. Evidence to support this is the Leidenbeck Ceremony head found in Leidenbeck in Bumalanga that date, dates 580. So this not only makes Leidenbeck one of the earliest Iron Age settlements, but it also makes it the earliest form of like cultural practices because this head symbolizes um, it's supposedly um, a head or a structure that was used during initiation and the sort of practices that Bantu people are still keeping with them. Another uh, form of evidence is the Mapungube settlement and I think this is the widely famous one because I also learned about it when I was in primary school. So this settlement dates back to the 11th century, 550 years before the arrival of the British company. So in Mapungube, what you certainly find is that you find the Kalanga people and the Shona people. So it's basically a civilization known to be of the Kalanga and the Shona. So it's basically a monarch ruled by a king or a queen. So and... It has hierarchies as seen that at the top of the copy of Mapungube, which is known as Land of the Wise, at the top of the hill, you find that that's where the royal people actually settled. 
and down there you find small settlements and you see that the common people the commoners live down there but this was like a flourishing a flourishing settlement where there was gold ivory and iron so it was actually an exchange hub so now we come to actually where do bantu people come from where are their origins stemming from so bantu origins stem from west and central africa so here this area is said to be in between the now border of nigeria and cameroon so you find that some say that they originate here there in west africa and migrate east and then move south some say that some migrated east and some headed south so in the east they were heading to tanzania uganda kenya in the south they were heading to zimbabwe your south africa namibia and botswana and it makes total sense that as bantu people we originate from west africa because i've drew i've drew like a few examples because there was one time where i discovered that burkina faso people actually had the ndewele it's, i won't call it the ndewele now but those ndewele patterns um that ndewele people paint their houses with so there 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 are some in burkina faso but the issues is that they just in black and white and in south africa they are more colorful Another example is the ornaments on the Maasai which is a tribe in Kenya quite similar to what modern day Bantu people wear as tradition you find beads around the neck known as irasu to us Ndebele people and also you find that shiny metal that hugs the neck itsila and you find that they also wear it it might be for different purposes but like it's a body ornament And so in discovering their ways they were also nomadic people but not fully nomadic so semi nomadic so however them like being fundamental agriculturist although being nomadic had the moving around a lot less so they only moved like after a harvest or they had to wait periods before they moved so the only thing that actually pushed them to move was severe droughts which was what brought them to South Africa in the first place they came because the sahara that desert north of the equator was slowly drying up and it was becoming dry and at the time when they came to southern africa they settled when southern africa was much wetter and warmer than now and obviously you guys know these things happened because of global warming so not only were they farmers but they were also pioneers of iron tools and it was quite an an innovative move if you ask me so we come to who exactly are the bantu in present day south africa so you find the nguni people the, under the nguni you find amazulu amaswat amaxhosa amandebele and then you find the amambos and amambo you you find your subis amampondo amampondo mise And some people even argue that Ndebele people are not actually Nguni, but they form part of Amambo. You find the Tongas, the Venda, the Balemba, and the Sutu and the Tswana. You find Balobedu, Babedi, Bapola, Nabatoqua, and Batswana. So this is just 
like the main groups I could count, but there's honestly still even more other tribes under this Bandu category. So the Bandu and the Khoi, also the Sen, influence each other's way of life. The Bandu started having clicks in their vocab, creating what we now know as this Khosa, and to a certain extent, this Zul. Now you have clicks in these languages. And also, the Bandu um, influenced the Khoi Sen in settling tendencies because the Sen were more nomadic and now they taught them ways of actually being much um, agricultural and farming and keeping cattle as a symbol of wealth and all of that. And we understand like with this interaction that when two groups in Africa interact, what we basically do is to share knowledge, ways of life and resources. And that's what happened. So as the indigenous people of Southern Africa, we should pride ourselves as in that we were always environmentalist at heart. And it's actively demonstrated by ways of the Khoisan, by being nomadic, allowing the land to regenerate and recuperate by moving around. And we were innovative. We were always innovators. Making iron out of stone was an advancement on its own. But the main thing that I want us to take out of this is that we weren't civilized, but civilization began with us. So guys, that was it for episode number one. Feel free to interact with me on my social. I am Pindi underscore Masanabo on, on Twitter and I am PS underscore Masanabo. Till then, till episode two, in two weeks, Ivy Matongo Amnandi.